Today's stuff is Lamidvo 36, and uh, we pick up at um, the very top of Lamidvo from Adalif, and we're dealing with the issue that when a widow comes to collect from the estate, instead of having her make a shavua because of the heavy consequences of a shavuah sheker, even an unintentional one, uh, they switch to having her make a neder, a vow. And now the Gemara, and we actually saw an interesting issue where, um, it's according to uh, some Amorayim, they were afraid that they couldn't trust that, and then they have they wouldn't let her even make a vow, and then she couldn't collect, and it showed a little undermining of the whole purpose of the uh, tikkun olam, you know, and of the uh, and, and of the understanding that there's a necess- necessity to fix the situation, and then there was sort of like a reverse. Then there was a uh, push back on that to get back to the original state. But I mentioned that because we're going to be seeing some more of that coming up as well about how some of these institutions of tikkun olam might have experienced some pushback. Um, at a later stage. Anyway, now we're dealing with the issue that she makes a neder, and the Gemara's question is, well, why, w- why will that neder suffice? Um, first of all, can she make it once she's already married? Then her husband can annul it. Can she make it in general, and then a chacham, she can go to a sage and have it, uh, and, and have it voided. So the Gemara actually said when she's already married, according to one opinion, she could not make it, because then her husband will just annul it, and it won't prove anything. According to another opinion, it would be possible to make it, but if she made it Robin, if she made it in public, and maybe that would exclude it from being voided. Now, one thing I should say about that, because we're about to get to the difference to Berabim and Aldas Rabim, is that um, Berabim means in public, right? And whatever the definition of public, Rashi says 10. And Aldas Rabim means it's sort of like it's not just based on what I have in mind, but somehow it would be based on, the, on what the Tzibor would have in mind, at least theoretically. So uh, we'll see in a minute about what that means. But um, here, Tosa's point out that when it comes to the issue of the husband being able to avoid it, Aldas Rabim would not help. Even though Aldas Rabim in other situations might prevent any uh, vow from being voided, um, that's when, because the nature of the process of me going to a sage to annul the vow, to void the vow, is that I say, well, under these circumstances, I wouldn't have made it. It wasn't really my intent. It wasn't really my das. Had I, you know, I made it in error. I made it without due consideration and so on. So if it's not about my das, if it's somehow it's dependent on everybody else's das, so that closes off the possibility of going to the stage. That's the idea of al das rabim. But it's somewhat of the opposite, or it could be the opposite, when it comes to the husband. When the husband voids his wife's vows, does a, uh, does a hafara of his wife's vow, it doesn't matter what she was thinking. She could have been 100% committed to it. No toes at all. He just has the power to void it. So doing al das rabim doesn't help. So what? You didn't have a toast. My wife, you know, as my wife, you didn't have a toast. I don't care that the Robin didn't have a toast. I have the power to avoid it. Who cares what das is involved? Okay, but birabim might work because birabim means it's no longer a private affair between the two of us. If it's a private affair between me and my wife. I can void her vow. Once it's done in public and it's a matter of like public record, then I, then it takes it out of the, again that like private realm and I can't void it. Okay, so that's so again. So what's the issue about um, about uh, how can does the netter work if she's married? According to one opinion, no. According to another opinion, yes. If she makes it, not Aldas Rabin, that wouldn't help. But Birabim, according to this opinion, if a wife makes a vow in public, okay, then that might exclude the husband's ability to avoid it, and then that would be a solution in this case. One minute. That's
that's the case that if she's married. In a normal case, well, how do we close off the possibility that she might go to a sage and get it and get it permitted, um, and then the nether won't do it, won't be able to be effective in basin to let her collect? So here we have two or three answers. Number one is maybe when you go to a sage, you are tarik lefarit haneder. You have to give the circumstances under which it's made, and therefore specifically for reasons such as this. So the sage will know that I can't allow this out. This now allows you to collect, right? It's not it's not something that I could allow. Okay, so that's one opinion. Another opinion says no. Normally, you don't have to be mefarneder. It's a phrase that once you start giving information, it won't be complete information. And according to the other opinion, that you are not mefarit haneder, so or you don't have to. So we're afraid that it will be so how do you stop going to the sage so according to this opinion it would only be for example if the only way we would allow this to work is a vow that the vow would have to be made either again birabim in public or aldas rabim and that's what we're about to explore now this issue of a vow made in public or a vow made on the on the das of the public on the intent on the will of the masses um, and that that may be the only case in which this vow is that this woman makes even an unmarried woman well a widowed woman um, um, it makes if uh, um, in order to allow her to collect from her dead husband's estate. Michael, you had a question. Yeah, I would, I would have thought is that it would have been sort of Aldazaram would have trumped it. Or if it would have been, you know, the ten people there, every people are there, you know, they're sort of listening, they're witnesses. But Aldazaram is like, not only are we witnesses, but like we're like really paying attention. You know what I mean? Like it's, you know, with our knowledge, right, well that, like awareness and cognizance. And so right, well, that is the difference. But Aldazaram doesn't need anybody to be present. It's, well, just, well, it's just, no. Well, you could always combine two, but they are two different concepts. So let's take a look at the Gemara. Okay? So the Gemara says, um, so, I understand. Okay, so, the, yeah, let's take three lines on the bottom, Lamed Hayam Bet. So let's repeat that. Via Martha, But if you don't normally have to detail the conditions of how the vow is made, let's be afraid that um, somebody will go to a sage and the sage will permit it. Okay, so how, uh, you know, so how will this work? That a woman can make, um, actually this is the case of him. What's the case here? Um, uh, Cohen. Oh, Cohen, thank you, right. So the case we had just dealt with was a Cohen who uh, makes a vow to not get benefit from his wife that he's not allowed to be married to, let's say, a case of a Grusha. Um, how do we let that vow work and let, us, and let him do the Avoda? Maybe he'll just go and release himself from the vow. So a similar case to our case of the Amana. So the Gemara says, Top of Lamed Vav so we make him take the vow in public and that will close off the ability of doing a hatara of going to a chacham so he says one minute that's good according to the opinion that if it's in public it cannot, you cannot be annulled by the husband and therefore presumably cannot be allowed by cannot be avoided by the chacham either according to the idea that it can be annulled by the husband and similarly we're assuming by the sage so Michael Amar so what solution do you have so the says, Ah, so not that it's in public, but it's on the das of the public, on their of public opinion. Uh, something that's the way of saying it. Yeah, like how the public would, what we presume the public would intend for such a right and for such a case. So, so well, it takes it out of my subjective das. Right. Okay, what it's now, but it doesn't so mean what they're thinking. Right. So let's take a look. Let's the Gemara will clarify this. The Amar Amar, because the Amar says according to the one that says Nedek Shudra Birabim Yeshlo Hafara if it's done in public it can still be voided um, but Aldas Rabim 
Eilo Afar. Now, Afar here probably means Hatara, because Tosus already pointed out, first of all, that, that, that would be the standard case we're talking about, and that is the case we're talking about here, and Tosus already pointed out that al Das Rabin wouldn't work by a case of a husband being naif here, because Das doesn't really matter in that case. So we're probably here talking about Hatara. Okay, so anyway, so even if al Das Rabin, if, if Birabin doesn't work, just close off the ability of a Chacham voiding it, but al Das Rabin would. Okay, now, now the Gemara is going to clarify in its next line some of the mechanics of Adas Rabbi. Wait, let's let me what? No, I was saying the opposite by Hafara, by the case of the husband. That's what I'm trying to get you to understand. Okay, that there is um, if Birabim does work, it could be that it's more absolute, right? Because Birabim could say once it's in public, it's a matter of public sort of record. Doesn't matter that whatever anybody is thinking, it's a matter of public record, and it's no longer private affair. And I can't get my husband to annul it. I can't get the sage to avoid it. All of that is in terms of it being a sort of a you know a, a, a personal type of an issue as opposed to once it's become a sort of a public a public issue that so if it does work then it actually completely seals off the ability there presumably would be no exceptions it would it would prevent even my husband from annulling it because it's not a question it's, it's not a question of das right so that would be if it does work but there are opinions that says that doesn't help just because you did it in public doesn't change the nature of the vow. So this is saying that even according to those opinions that doing it in public doesn't change the nature of the vow, they would admit that doing it al das rabim is relevant. Because since das is always relevant to a vow, doing it al das rabim is relevant. So the difference is, if birabim works, then, in way, then, it's, then it's sort of, it's, it's broader and more absolute than al das rabim. But there are opinions that it doesn't work. Who cares that you said it in public? Since when does that change what the, 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 you know, the nature of the vow? Al das rabim, that will work. Okay, but if al das rabim works, it doesn't work in all cases. It might be, it, it might be that, it, that al das rabim, das, bir rabim doesn't work at all. And al das rabim does work. Okay, but nevertheless, al das rabim might not work in the case of husband and wife, because that, their das doesn't matter. Okay, and where it also mm-hmm. might not work is, let's read the next case, and the Gemara says, Vahani mili lidvar rishus. And anyway, that idea that al das rabim prevents it from being annulled, that's only when it's a matter of discretion. Of a lidvar mitzvah, when the vow needs to be annulled to enable a mitzvah to be done, it's getting in the way of a mitzvah, yesho afara, it can be annulled. Okay, and what's an example of this? Kehu mikri dardiki, like a case of this, uh, of this uh, teacher, of the uh, teacher, like, of, of an elementary school teacher, teacher of small children. The Adri Rav Acha al Das Rabin. The Rav Acha made him take a vow um, on the Das of the Rabin that he would like, you know, that uh, he could no longer, uh, you know, teach the kids. And if he were to teach, right, he was like, well, we'll see. All right. Okay. All right. That he, that he could no longer, te- that he could no longer teach. And if he would teach, maybe, you know, uh, all of, uh, you know, the fruit of the world would be Ashtim or something of that nature. And when he made him take a vow, and he made him take a vow in a way that it was Aldas Rabin so he could not reverse it he couldn't go to a Chacham and get it reversed okay but Avi Pasha Bianuki, because he was negligent with the children, and that doesn't mean that he didn't grade their papers. Presumably, it means that he uh, that he hit them. Okay. The, uh, all right, everybody, can we stop the comments? The Hadre Ravina, and then Ravina restored him to his post. Because they couldn't find another teacher that was as uh, good as him and as demanding of the kids as his. So obviously, that's a very sad sort of statement. I mean, going back, of course, to a time in which in which right a thousand years ago, fifteen hundred years ago, when when you know. 
hitting kids, I mean, was, uh, you know, in school was a uh, acceptable form of discipline, but it also is sad because it makes you think of contemporary cases about, you know, sexual abuse where people will gloss over um, obvious signs of, uh, you know, about of abusive and say, you know, sexual abuse and so on because they'll say, well, I mean, he's such an effective educator and such a good teacher and so on. So anyway, um, but, um, but the point here is, is that it was understood to be that this vow was getting in the way of the mitzvah of educating the kids um, and uh, therefore they rele- he was able to be released from it. Now, what about the fact that it was Aldas Rabbim? But the argument is, oh, okay. But the Rabbim basically would say, your personal subjective reasons that you wouldn't have taken the vow in situation A, B, and C, that's not relevant to us. We're the Rabbim. We don't have those subjective reasons. Okay? So that's not, you cannot be released from your vow on the basis of some type of toast and error, you know, if it has to do with your subjective reality. That's the whole point of making it a communal das. But to be released from it based on an objective reality, had we known that it would have gotten in the way of a mitzvah, there's no way any of us would have wanted a vow to get in the way of a mitzvah. So therefore, that's considered a type of a tar. So again, the, reason, the way a Torah of a Chacham works is that it identifies an error in your das. Okay? And if it's al das rabin, the subjective circumstances that you might have not intended are no longer relevant. It doesn't make it subjective. It makes it a communal das. We don't share those subjective circumstances. But if it's a type of an error, thank you so much. But if it's a type of an error that um, that is uh, that we as a community, a serious circumstance, we as a community never would have you know would have acknowledged that there should not be a vow in those cases, then it is a basis for you know error recognized error to release it. So that's the mechanism of Adas Rabin. So that mechanism is not absolute to prevent releasing. It allows it in cases where the Rabin would have obviously never have wanted there to be a vow, and it might not work according to Tosfos. It should it work in the case of husband and wife which isn't based on the wife's vow the husband's ability to annul and the wife's das has nothing to do with the wife's das so Aldas Rabin is seems to what the Gemara is saying is, is works according to everybody everybody agrees it's a mechanism that works but it doesn't have absolute scope it works only with the, to prevent the Chacham not to prevent the husband and even there it doesn't work in case of mitzvah or other types of situations if Birabin does work and it's debated if Birabin works but if Birabin does work it's a different type of a mechanism it makes it a public matter and not a private matter and therefore takes it out of the realm of the ability to be annulled whether it's for Chacham, whether for a husband and wife, and would have no exceptions, okay? So that's a very interesting difference between those two types of mechanisms. So you're saying there's a vision out there that would say the husband and wife can annul A, it was Barabim, and B, it was Aldaz Rabim, both, both cases. So no, there's no. I, I mean, at least I don't know if oh, the other Rishonim say. I know that Tosa says that a husband can never. Al Das Robin will never stand in the way of a husband and wife. So Robin would. Yes. Okay. Because exactly for that reason, Al Das is not relevant for husband. No. Well, according to the opinions that the Robin works, that would solve the case of husband. That would get in the way of husband and wife. Right. No. My question was like, how do we talk in? You have like both, and some would say no matter what. I don't care about Robin. I don't care about Das Robin. Oh, there's somebody that says neither works. Yes. I think Tosa raises that. I forget if there's actually. Is every, how, how he concludes with that. Yes? Um, it's just a little confusing about Zoss Robin because the whole point is the husband has kind of control or, or like veto power over the death right. of the wife, right? right. If it's not her death that made the vow, because he does the mechanism doesn't work with. Se- I mean, I guess you're right. If the logic of Hafara is my will is stronger than your will, you know, then when it's somebody else's will, it's not that case. Mm-hmm. But it's not an issue of will. It's an issue of like, you know, it's just like I 
can't tolerate this vow to be in, in our marriage and you know and because so so then it's like it's not about the will that was behind the vow so it's, that's basically the point that the case of annulling the wife's vow is not because of her intent or her will it's just the husband's fundamental ability to you know say this vow can't be sort of sta- like it's a power issue and, but not a power of will not like a contest of wills like, right yeah. but like like the phenomenon of this vow I can say is you know not acceptable to me yes this is it unless I misunderstand it does what you were about to avow he seems to be saying you can't say Aldat Rabin is like Stam like as if one person can actually know what the Rabbi. Yeah, that's a funny Rabbeinu Tam. Yeah, I mean, right? yeah, no. that is an interesting Rabbeinu Tam. If you look in the middle of that toast, so he says, Vodome Rabbeinu Tam daldas hainu keshomer aldas ploni u ploni afilu shulah bishnem that aldas Rabbi you have to actually identify the individual. Avaldas Rabbi stam lav klumhu. Avaldas right. Know what like communal. Yeah, but but it's a very strange Rabbeinu Tam because the whole point of making it generic is to actually prevent close off any. Avenue. Right. There's no 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 particular person's subjective dot right. is relevant. It's just the community as a whole. Well, the community as a whole takes it out of any subjective circumstances. Would limit it to cases of, that there are objective circumstances yeah. that would that every you know everybody would agree should not stand in the way of a vow. All yes. The categories have to do with never, right? Right. So, but if they would have just kept with the shvua, right? So let's repeat that, and then we'll go on. Which is a sh- now you could be released from a shvua if it's a future-oriented shvua in a similar way. I take a shvua that I will do X, that I won't do X. But if it's a past-oriented shvua, taking the shvua that that I never took any money from the estate, right? So then that's determined, then that's not something that exists now as a thing that binds me that I can be released from. At the moment those words go out of my mouth, I'm either telling the truth or I'm lying. And if I'm lying at that moment, then I made a shvush sheker. And there's nothing a chacham can do later that affects that. Right? So all of these issues about one minute high with a neder you can be released from, it is only because we shifted from shvua to neder. Absolutely. Okay, so now let's continue. So takana number two is, or in the mission of the Next we think we still have tikkun olam. They didn't chosman al get me tikkun olam, and the witnesses sign on a get for the sake of tikkun olam. So. First of all, Tosus has a little discussion of whether you have the vih, vih aedim chosun because the mission by the Almana says, Hitkin Rebbein Gamliel Hazakin Shetain Dozeris Komasha Yirtu. And then he says, if it says vih aedim chosmim, it sounds like that's part of Rebbein Gamliel's takana. But actually, Tosus says, it's going to be clear from what we're going to read that this idea of signing a get predated Rebbein Gamliel. Okay, so he takes out the vav. Okay, Mimeti Olam, wait a minute, you only sign a get because it uh, sort of, you know, makes for the better running of the world that she has now a signed document and doesn't have to go looking for the Adam that were actually present. The right to he, it's biblical, to cleave, and now it's interesting because to prove it's biblical, of course, the Pasuk in Yirmiyahu, write in a book, in a scroll, and sign. The Amarabah, so, so, okay, so therefore, and presumably that means that anything that's to be defined as a legal document in the Torah, even if it's not as a, a even if its purpose is not to serve to proof as evidence that something took place, but as an instrument, to use it as a document of an instrument of divorce, it's only if it actually has signed witnesses in the document itself. So why is this a tikkun olam? So Amarabah, let's take a look. It's needed for the position of Rebbe Lazar. The Amar, Eidi Misirakarti, that he said that biblically speaking, that this verse is actually not required for the definition of a star. As another Gemara 
Gemara says that's only Eitzatov um, or Mulan, just good advice, okay? And so we, as Chazal, took the good advice of the verse. But the right, it's not needed. You could have something that operates as a star, certainly as a star that's a, what we call a star Kinian, a star that serves as an instrument to transfer a field, to marry a woman, to divorce a woman, to free a slave. When it's actually serving as an instrument, it does not need the testimony as a written, you know, written into the star. Okay? It's just the good advice of that verse. And we took that good advice. Okay, but the right, Aidy Mysterikarti, biblically speaking, the witnesses who are physically present and observe it being handed over, those are the witnesses that make it into a get um, and uh, make it into a valid document. Or they're the witnesses that are necessary for the act, uh, you know, because it's a Dovish Abba a matter of personal status requires witnesses. So they might be required for just a transaction. And it might also be considered that those physical witnesses who are present is considered that their viewing of the giving over the get somehow becomes part of, you know, validates the star itself. It's seen as part of the star. But they don't have to write their names in it. They just have to be physically present. That's all you need, okay? Or not all. That's what you need, according to the Torah. Um, so therefore, that's biblically speaking. But the king but the rabbis established that they should actually sign their names. For the sake of the, you know, of the improvement of the world. Why? Sometime um, the eight witnesses will die. They'll go far away. And there's our Medina Sayyam again. And then this woman won't be able to prove that she's divorced. So she might, it serves as an instrument. But you know what it doesn't serve as? It doesn't serve as evidence. So if the woman is going to want a document that's going to be evidence of her divorce, they have them go ahead and write their names in. Now, of course, it's interesting because there could be alternatives. There could be, well... Besides that, well, that's always true. But no, but it could be that we would say that the document itself wouldn't have the witnesses, but then after the, she was divorced, the basin would write up a, you know, a document that, you know, a, that, that would testify to the fact that it happened. But, you know, that just requires yet another document to be written. And, you know, this way, the woman, the same document the woman gets that divorces her that necessarily she has to receive will be the document that serves as, you know, something she puts in the safety deposit box and will serve as her evidence. Just to remind you, there is a whole debate in the we've shown him about what happens if once they did sign the document um, if um, the, no, the Adim, once the document is signed, to what degree do they really become Doraita part of the star? Um, and the most obvious nafkamin of that is, let's say there were not Adim Mesira present let's say according to Rebbe Lezer, it was given only with the signed signatures and with no Adim Mesira. So according to a number of Rishonim, that actually could work as well. That Rebbe Lezer admits that this is a, that the, that this actually, if they sign, then even in, even though it's not required to write, it does do right to become part of the star, and then it becomes as if the signed signatures, when handed over, become like the physical witnesses that are present to testify and to, you know, be there to observe the giving over of the star. So according to somebody showing him, this works so much, not only as evidence, but it, it, not, it works, again, not that the rabbis created this, the rabbis required that it be signed, but the argument would be that according to Rabbi Lezer, once signed, that becomes a Torah-recognized valid testimony that exists within the document. A, not just to prove that she's divorced, but actually to serve as a substitute as a substitute for the need for the physical witnesses to be present. So there's an interesting so there's an interesting whole debate of Rishon about how that functions. Another nafkamina would be, as we saw way at the beginning of the Masechet, what if according to Rebbe Lezer, the witnesses signed it Shalolishmo, Shalolishma. 
right? So once you're saying that the signing yeah. is gets incorporated into the nature and identity of the star, it wasn't necessary. But if you did it, it became part of the star. Then how much does all the requirements of the star apply to the signing of the sh- of the witnesses as well? Yes. So I understand. So the like, so the Bible is going to matter. And says, oh yeah, no, this is all like Messiah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, every say, no, no, I was, I was there. Was, right. Because one against two. Right. So once the corner of a lesser they aiding signed. Yeah. Then, if he's my error, he's not believed because it's also been one against two. Well, no, I mean, same, it's the same, same halacha as what do you call it? As um, as Rabbi Mayer, once the uh, signatures are validated, then then validated. So then validated with Rabbi Mayer, you 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 have to get them validated unless it was from Chutzarta and you said the funny mechtav. It's was, all the same mechanism. And it was, it was validated when released. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. So, so Rabbi Eliezer is saying uh, it's really the it's the witnesses. The signing witnesses are not really necessary, but right. once they're there, they can replace the witnesses who saw the action. That is according to some Rishonim, they say that, right, that's debated. And how does this relate to a ketubah, or does it relate? In other words, in terms of that you need signature... No, so a is a document that is not an instrument. It's a document that only testifies oh. to the assumption of of, of debt, okay. of responsibility. So you uh, only need signing witness. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this. Um, okay. Rabbi Yosef, I'm Rabbi Meir. Even Rabbi Rabbi Meir, yes, it's true that you needed witnesses, but when it says that they, anyway, sign, to sign, but what it says that they waited tikkun along was how they would sign. Okay? They would spell out their name. They would they would write full, a fully identifying signature. We may tikkun olam to the time because we talked in Brisbane. Yeshua na hayakosev ani plani chasamti aid here. And originally you would not write your name. You would just write I. I, you know, you know, you know, I, start, I well, it doesn't say plony. It does say plony. Yeah, I think Rashi's Girsa was, um, wait, hold on, where's Rashi? Uh-huh. What? One minute. No, no, you're right, you're right. I miss, I, I, whatever, fine. Okay, right. So, originally, you would just write your first name. You know, I, Reuven, have signed as a witness. Okay? Now, if your uh, handwriting we knew from another place, then it would be kosher. That would be fine. We would know, look, there's somebody, you know, we know this is, a, you know, Reuven Schwartz's handwriting, and here it's come from another place, and so we'd know that it's a legitimate signature. But it's not possible. And the problem would be if you said, wait, wait, we don't recognize this signature and we don't know who this guy is. It's Ruby and there are a million Rubens. How are we going to find out if this is the legitimate signature of this person if we don't know who the person is? Right? So we'd be totally stuck. So, they made a big takana. So notice here the, 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 the use of the word takana in this bright that indicates that this might have been the takana we were talking about. Okay? They would say it out explicitly. They would Ruben Minyako, right? So, okay, so they would be much more specific. And then they would be able to find, you know, does anybody know a Ruben Minyakov? And they'd be able to find the guy. Does anybody have any signatures from a Ruben Minyakov? And if they know who, who signature we're talking about, we would be able to establish them. You narrow it down to a thousand guys. Well, okay, exactly. Okay, um, no, not in the signature. Now, if there's two, the Gemara says, if there's two people in the same town that have the same name and the same father's name, then you would make it three generations. Okay, so when there are 
are people with duplicate signatures, you know, you would want. Okay, so now the Gemara, actually, that's more about the, excuse me, that's more about the person, about the, right, about the name in the get, about the uh, husband and the wife. I'm sorry, not about the witnesses. Okay. Ubisimano, because we, it's a patriarch. Ubisimano, low. Now, would it not be suffice to do it with a, that's what a patriarch means, a base of Kari Mishpacha. Okay. Ubisimano, low. Now, are we saying that you have to actually, the only way to do it is by, is by using exp- your name and your father's name and so on, um, and not by doing some type of a, of, of, of a uh, symbol? So, Varav Tzir Kura, but Rav drew a little fish. Reb Chanina Tzir, yeah, apparently instead of his signature, he drew a picture of a fish. Reb Chanina Tzir Charus, and Reb Chanina drew a a palm tree. Reb Chizda, that's right. Reb Chizda Samech. Reb Chizda just drew a letter Samech for Chizda. Reb Hoshaya Ayin, I guess Aya Hoshaya. Okay, Rabbi Barav Huna Tzir Makosa, and he drew a what's this Makosa? Oh, a a a sail of a ship. Okay? So anyway, so you see you can just draw little symbols and that counts. So, which is so funny also because because there's two questions. Number one is how do we know who signed it to be Makayimit? And number two is that we could think that it would be the, 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 the drawing would be distinctive enough as, the, as handwriting is in a signature that you could actually be Makayimit. Okay? But the Gemara says but that doesn't bother the Gemara. It presumes that. But then it gets back to the problem of how is this better than like, uh, you know, than first names. How do you know, hey, did anybody know anybody who has a fish, right? Like, I mean, how do you go ahead and find out if you don't know who signed it, right? Uh, you know, how are you making it? So the Gemara says, no. Shani Rabbanon to Bikini Simanayu. No, no, no. The rabbis, apparently this was a thing among the rabbinic class, you know, that they would have, uh, they would have these little uh, pictures, they would have these little symbols, and uh, people knew. I knew them by their symbols. Oh, that's a Rav Chizda symbol, you know. So, so therefore, it wasn't a problem to be Mekayimit because uh, they were known by their symbols. So the Gemara says, and again, presumably it would be distinctive enough that you couldn't fork it. So the Gemara says, That's all very nice once they get to be known by their symbols, but it's a little circular. How did they start using their symbols, right? If you're not allowed to use something that you can't be identified by, how did you use your symbols signing a star if at the beginning when you weren't yet identified by it, right? So the Gemara says, no, Bidiski, in like personal correspondence. So, they, if you start having a lot of personal correspondence and you sign your name with a symbol and everybody starts to know it, then you can start using that symbol on your star. Okay, again, assuming that it's distinctive enough and that it can, you know, so it can't be forged. Your Honor, yes. I have to make a public declaration yes. since the learning here is so sharp. Yes. That hatchet on the board should be yours too. <laughs> I don't know about that. Okay, anyway, yeah. Yes. Alright, now, let's take a look. Now we move on to dum da da dum Prusbal. Okay? Okay, so... He'll he can Prisbal. He'll establish Prisbal. Now we'll t- discuss in a minute what Prisbal, what the etymology of that word might mean. Anyway, it's not awesome. Exactly, it's not awesome. We taught over there in Shavis. Okay, Prisbal ain't a mishamate. If something is written through a Prisbal, it does not get it does not get uh, 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 annulled on Shemitah. You do not get released from the from the debt on Shemitah. Zechaminadvarim. This is all from the mission over there in Shavis. This is one of the things Shitkin Hilal Zaken. The whole Zaken established. He saw that people were no longer uh, lending money to one another when the Shemitah year was coming near. Okay, the Torah, they transgressed what's written in the Torah. Watch yourself, guard yourself, lest you have this, uh, you know, 
thought, this uh, treacherous thought, and saying that the Shemitah is coming and you won't lend to the poor person. So he created Prisbal to allow people to, to that they would lend to the poor and that Shemitah would no longer annul the debts. Now I need to say something very important here about how this is framed. Because for a lot of people, it's like, oh yes, you know, look at that, you know, the rabbis getting around what the Torah is trying to do, the Torah wants to annul it, the rabbis don't like it, so they find this workaround. So the interesting thing is that the way it is framed is not that way. The way it is framed is not this halacha of Shemitah is creating too much of a burden on the, uh, you know, on the, on, the, on the creditors. And if we can't survive with it in our economy, it wasn't explained that way. It was explained in the terms of mitzvos that the current situation is causing the transgression of biblical mitzvot. People are transgressing, not lending to the poor. So the best way to satisfy the Torah is not just our economic societal needs, right? But the best way to satisfy the Torah's concern that these mitzvahs are observed is by creating this reality of a prispo. So now, that's not to say that there aren't times when sometimes the human needs has to lead to certain types of takanot and certain types of workarounds. Okay, but it's always better if it can be framed in terms of that this is actually compromising a mitzvah of the Torah itself, the current situation. So if we prevent the, the, the debts from being annulled, now, even in that case, you have to choose which of the mitzvah do you, is going to trump. Is it better to people to transgress not lending, but at least we're fulfilling the mitzvah of annulling the debts? Or is it better to have the people not transgress the mitzvah of not lending, have them lend, and then, but we won't be fulfilling annulling the debts, right? It's still a trade-off, even in terms of the uh, math of the, the biblical math, right? The biblical, the, the mitzvah equation. So there's no question that it would rather from a social perspective, you know, and, uh, you know, the well-being of the poor of those two, rather that people lend money and the debts don't get annulled, and people don't lend money and whatever debts do exist do get annulled, right? You understand that there's still going to be a choice, but it starts by framing it as a competition of two Torah mandates that are not, the Torah recognizes the challenge. The Torah says, lend money, but the debts will be annulled, but don't let that stop you from lending money. So the Torah recognizes that people are going to be tempted not to lend money, and that's going to be a challenge. So if one of those has to give, which one is going to have to give? Now, it's quite likely that somebody with less of a vision than Hillel would say, look, we have a whole biblical institution of annulling debts. It's part of the Shemitah year. Just because individuals are transgressing, we can't undermine this whole major part of what the Shemitah year is about, right? So five individuals will transgress. And I'm going to say that the basic point of departure is that the debts have to be annulled, right? So Shmuel, and that's what you're going to find. Shmuel says, I mean, Hillel says no. You know, the more important thing, for the, even for the poor, it's not more important for that, you know, for the poor's own well-being, it's more important that they get the money and have to pay it back than that the debts be annulled and they don't get the money to begin with. Okay? So again, so the point here is, is that Hillel did not start by saying, ugh, this mitzvah won't work nowadays. We have to find a workaround. He said, he said, he said ugh, this people are transgressing and uh, biblical violations are being done and therefore we can either allow that situation to continue or we can change the annulling of the debt so that these violations won't be done. So he makes it a, a trade-off between two mitzvot, as it were. And he obviously sides in favor of the choice that is uh, what he feels is going to be in the best interest uh, you know, of the poor. Yes? Has anybody discussed it in the context of this is a reduction of a faith in the whole idea of 
Right. You know, that Hashem will take care of the, yeah. the mitzvot. I mean, that's, I think, I mean, I don't know if it's framed that way, but that's presumably correct. Yeah, I mean, now, by the way, the Torah doesn't say that about annoying the debts. The Torah says that about not working the field, that God will ensure that there will be whatever, you know. But uh, it does not say that, um, but it doesn't say that, like, you know, but you, if you know the debts, God will pay you back for the money you lent. But, uh, <laughs> oh, we're told that by Shabbos, if you spend money on Arab Shabbos, God will pay you back. But anyway, but yeah, but it's not framed that way. Now, I do want to say, of course, that the exact same issue came up in uh, the Shemitah observance, not the annulling of debt, but Shemitah observance in Eretz Yisrael. So you look around and say that, like, you know, and it just got renewed because, of course, the recent Rabbanut is so firm that they can't rely on Rav Kook's Hatter Mechira, you know, and how do you look at the situation? Do you say that, like, people, you know, uh, thousands of people, millions of people are going to violate, and therefore we have to find a technical workaround and tell all of Eretz Yisrael to an on to, which that really seems like much more of a fiction than Hillel's Prusbal, you know, um, but, um, okay, or do you say, no, like, you know, since when do we compromise on the fact that people aren't observing the mitzvot? We're just going to keep everything natural in the way it is and the people that violate and let them violate, right? So it's the same type of a trade-off, okay? But it's not that Rav Cook just starts by saying, like, oh, economic, I mean, maybe he did say at some level, it's also, he also did say that economically in Yishuvah, Yisrael, whatever, this isn't viable, but in addition, it could also be phrased as an issue not just about whether it's economically viable, but whether it is, uh, you know, it's a competition of two, of two mitzvot, as it were, you know, not just sort of the human dimension, which is an important dimension in Psach, but people don't always pay, you know, give it the necessary weight. So it could be framed just as a mitzvah dimension. Is it more important the whole country keep the mitzvah of Shemitah and half of the country violate it? Or is it more important that we find a workaround for the mitzvah of Shemitah, right? A very similar type of a question. Okay, so anyway, let's take a look back at the Gemara. Um, this is the essence, the actual script, you know, uh, a text of the Prusbole. I am handing over to you, you know, Reuben and Shema and the judges in such and such a place, so you identify the Basin. Then any debt that I have um, by, by a certain person, you know, any money that this person owes me, that I am retaining the right to collect it whenever I want. And the judges sign below, or the witnesses. So this is all, so that doesn't really explain the mechanism. This just says, I'm making a declaration that I'm going to plan to collect it regardless. Okay, it's very nice. You're going to plan to collect it regardless. Okay, what, what's the mechanism by which that works? So, um, in the mission over there, you know, elsewhere, the Gemara identifies this with the principle of what we called Moser Shterosa of the Bastin. That even though you say, I plan on collecting it, since you are informing the Bastin, it's sort of like you give the authority to collect the debt over to the basin. And therefore, it's not, the Torah says, when the Shemitah comes, you shall not exact it from your neighbor. Okay, but it's no longer me who's in a position of power vis-a-vis my neighbor to be demanding and exacting the debt. I've handed that over to, that responsibility over to the basin. So since there's no particular individual, right, it's sort of the communal basin that has the right to collect the debt now, um, then the debt doesn't get annulled. Okay, that's the mechanism. For example, so if you look at Rashi, he says, um, Mosrani Lachem, so Rashi says about, I don't know, 20 lines from the bottom, 25 lines, Ed Tarosash, attempt you, Nogsim, you will be the ones to demand it and exact it. Vani Loedos, I will not. So it's funny, the language is, I'll collect it whenever I want, but basically the logic is, maybe I'll collect it from you guys. Anyway, but you're the ones now who have the responsibility for it. Okay, so Rashi doesn't hear spell that out. But the idea is about, no, about Moser Shosh of Lebeistim, it's no longer my personal de- uh, debt, 
so they are owed to me. It's, you know, you're taking it over, so it's somehow out of that category. Okay, but that doesn't really work on a door. If that worked on a door right to level, you wouldn't need pillows takana. It is a little questionable because if some say, well, one minute, if that is a way of getting around it, what with pillows takana? And someone say, well, you know, but it's generally understood to be that that it's sort of like that's the door right. To, that's the that, that's the sort of claim of how it doesn't look like a direct violation of the Torah because it's framed as it's no longer your debt it's the basin's debt but that's still a fiction okay it's not really the basin's debt it really is your debt so really you did need Hillel's Takana to come along and make this work but then the question becomes well how did Takana make it work if it is a fiction and the Torah says the debt should be annulled how does this work so that's the Gemara's question so let's take a look so the Gemara says Umika Midi so the, I'm sorry so, so it's my chance Okay, so the Gemara is there anything that Shemitah should annul at a Doraita level? And Hillel establishes that it should not be Meshamit? How could such a thing happen? How could he go ahead and undermine a Doraita if, no, if, if the Torah really doesn't know the debt? So, Amar it's talking about Shemitah nowadays and Shemitah nowadays the annulling of debts is only rabbinic and since it's only rabbinic the rabbis can't take, call, call an end to the annulling of debts because the whole debts are anyway nowadays only annulled rabbinically well they first made a takana to continue the practices of Shemitah including the annulling of debts okay and then they found a way to get a workaround around, around the, so why did they do it from the outset if, you know what I mean is when he says that it's only rabbinic and now Days. Yeah. Isn't that a circular? The question was. Well, how do we know it? How can the rabbis negate? Well, no. So we have to say, how do we know what makes Shemitah rabbinic nowadays? So that's going to be the next oh. line. So let's take a look. Detanya, we turn to Brisa. Rabbi Yomer, Zedvar Shemitah Shemot. This is the matter of Shemitah. You should release, okay, um, all your debts. B'shtei Shemitah Sakasim Adab. It's talking about two Shemitahs. Achas Shemitahs Karkav Achas Shemitahs Ksafim. The Shemitah of land and the Shemitah of monies. B'zman Shatamishami Karkav Tamishami Ksafim. B'zman Shiatamishami Karkav Iatamishami Ksafim. When you when you release the lands, when you don't work the lands, there's Shemitah of the lands, there's Shemitah of the money. When there's not Shemitah of the lands, there's not Shemitah of the money. And the implication being, nowadays there's not Shemitah of the lands, so therefore there's no Shemitah of the money. Now, why is there not Shemitah of the lands nowadays? So you could say, well, after Chorban Abayas, the land doesn't have, let's say, the Kedushas Eretz Yisrael for laws that are agricultural mitzvot, and therefore there's no longer a Shemitah, a biblical Shemitah, so there's also no longer biblical releasing of debts. But we rabbinically didn't want Shemitah to end, so we would have said that rabbinically, as we do say, Shemitah still applies nowadays, okay? And then even though Shemitah still applies nowadays, and that would be whether the land and whether the money, Hillel came and said, you know what, for the money thing, we're not going to say it doesn't work at all, but we're going to allow for a workaround. If you didn't do a proof, well, it'll still annul the money. We're not, okay, but we're going to allow for a workaround. So that's basically the Gemara's answer. That's all rabbinic, and therefore that allowed Shmuel, that allowed Hillel to make a workaround. Now the problem with this answer, as Rashi points out, is that why is Shemitah not knowing nowadays presumably like I said because it's post-Chorban there's only a bit of a problem which is the dating because Hillel lived pre-Chorban so if you were back to the question of how did Hillel get around it because in Hillel's day it was still biblical so Rashi quotes another Gemara Yerushalmi whatever that says no there's a different reason why it was not biblical even in the time Shemitah was not biblical even in the time of Bayit Sheni what's the reason Rashi says that this would be because because Shemitah would, the same way the Shemitah of money is dependent on the Shemitah of land, the Shemitah of land is dependent on the practice of Yovel. Yovel, Yovel. And Yovel do not apply during Bayit Shani because Yovel requires Kol Yosheva Leha. 
all of the you know inhabitants of the land, all the twelve tribes on the land, and therefore even during Bayit Shani there was no Yovel, there was a rabbinic Yovel, but not a Doraita Yovel, and there was no Doraita Shemitah, there was no Shemitah Ksafim, so it was all rabbinic. So Hillel made his Takana. Okay, so that's what Rashi says. Um, Rabbeinu Tam actually disagrees with that and has different read of the Gemara, but I am not going to worry about that. Okay, that's the basic argument that was all rabbinic. Um, nowadays it's rabbinic because of after the Chorban, and it was even rabbinic in the time of Hillel because of because there was no Yovel at least Doraita. So therefore, that allowed Shmuel, Hillel to make his Takana because the whole thing was rabbinic to begin with. So the Gemara is still not happy. And the Gemara says, and the rabbi started, I'm sorry, I didn't get to the question yet. The rabbi started with a takana that you like that we're going to continue Shemitah even nowadays and even with no Yovel and even after the Chorban we're going to continue Shemitah to remember Shemitah. But that worked fine by the Karka, even by the Karka it didn't work fine, but okay. But it actually created problems also with the debt. He saw that people stopped lending he established the Prisbo. So it works because the whole annulling of debt in his time and nowadays was was Durabanan. Tozus basically says, no, 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 in the time of Hillel it was Doraita. And when Hillel established the Prisbo, it was because he was looking into the future, anticipating that there would be a Chorban Abayas and it would be Durabanan, and he made it the kind of future time. Very hard to, 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 uh, to, to believe that that was the case. Okay? For whatever reason, it was rabbinic in Hillel's time, we'll say because there was no Yovel, certainly it's rabbinic nowadays, and that's why the Prisbo works. So the Gemara is still not happy because how did you make the original Takana to say that there would be a rabbinic annulling of debts? Then also the question. I don't get it. So let's go back to the idea that you said that we rabbinically instituted Shemitah, right? Before Hillel's Prisbo. Well, how could there be a case that before the rabbis came along there was no Shemitah and the debts were not annulled and now the rabbis are telling me that debts have to be annulled. You get it? It's not questioning Hillel's Prisbo. It's questioning the establishment of Shemitah of a rabbinic Shemitah prior to Hillel that annulled the debts. How did the rabbis establish a Shemitah to annul debts once it biblically was no longer applicable? How are they getting me getting you out of the money that you owe me, right? You understand the question? Yes? David, you give me a look. No? no not, what? I'll no, no, no. Listen, it's not it's a safe word. Okay, I think it is safe word. Here you have a little picture. Okay? Here you have Bayit Rishon, okay? Where you have Yovel, Shmita Skarka, and Shmita Ksafim, okay? Okay, Ksafim, okay? Then you come to Bayit Shani, and there's no Yovel, okay? There's only, there's no biblical Yovel. There's only Durabon on a Yovel, okay? There'll be a Durabon on Yovel, rabbinic Yovel, okay? Because there's no Yovel, there's no Shemitah's Karka, okay? There's no biblical Shemitah's Karka. Because there's no biblical Shemitah's Karka, there's no biblical Shemitah's Ksafim. This is all during Bayit Shani, right? Okay, but the rabbis are going to reinstitute all of these things during Bayit Shani. Okay, and because it's all rabbinic, the Shemitah's Ksafim, Hilo can come and say a Durabanan of, uh, of Prusbo. Okay? Prusbol now will address the Durabanan of Shemitah's Ksafim. Okay? That's what Hillel's doing. Yes? So what the Gemara says is, okay, we got now how Hillel could make his Prusbol, because it's only attacking a Durabanan, you know, sort of, uh, whatever, compromising a Durabanan of Shemitah's Ksafim. But how did they make
make this drabanan of Shemitah's Ksafim. Before they made their drabanan, money that was owed had to be paid. Right? The biblical annulling stopped. You people had to pay their debts. So how did the rabbis come and say, oh, now we're going to rabbinically say you don't have to pay your debts on Shemitah because we're going to continue this idea of Shemitah rabbinically. What allowed them rabbinically to create a, a Shemitah and to get people out of their debts? You still have this blank look on your face. <laughs> and, and what, how did this, that's, what, that's what Hillel did, right? Hillel, Hillel stopped the rabbinic annulling of debts. But how did the rabbis annul the debts to begin with? The Torah's Shemitah stopped. Okay, in Bayit Sheni time. So before the rabbis did anything, people had to pay their debts during the Shemitah year. Right? You get it? Before the rabbis did anything. During Bayit Sheni, if you owed me money, what happened in the Shemitah year? What happened in the Shemitah year if you owed me money? In the Bayit Sheni time, before the rabbis did anything. No, you paid. There was no Shemitah, you had to pay me. There was, even on Shemitah, you paid me, right? Because there was, there was no biblical Shemitah and there was no rabbinic Shemitah. So the rabbis came and said, no, 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 you don't have to pay anymore. We're instituting a rabbinic Shemitah. What allowed the rabbis to institute a rabbinic Shemitah okay, to, to pay your debt? Okay? So the Gemara says, okay, is there anything to me? There is a law that biblically Shemitah would not annul the debt. I'm so, yeah, it's just like we're not actively telling you to violate a derisa. We're just passively saying, don't pay your debt, don't collect your debt. Well, don't pay. So, that, yes, we, that, that we were able to say that an institute of rabbinic shemitah. Well, I don't so, What does that mean? In other words, like we... Well, uh, we tell you not to take the lula when first day of Sukkot falls out on Shabbos. So we'll tell you not to pay your debts. Okay, the Shemitah... Rava's answer is the better one. Rava says... Hefker based in how you hefker. No, rabbis can change. When it comes to money, the rabbis can manipulate things. Okay, and the rabbis can release people of their debts. What the basin says is, is hefker as onerous as hefker. So therefore, they were able to institute a rabbinic shemitah and release people of their debts because they have control over money. Over, okay, for the rabbis have that power. How do you know that? Um, the Amar of Yitzchak, Minayit Hefker based in how you hefker. How do you know that things that the basin will null, become a null? or not a null, uh, make Ownerless when they sort of you know we, they change ownership of property. even from a Anybody that does not show up in three days, based on the sort of you know advice or whatever the the uh, command, the edict of the of the officers and the elders, all of his property will be banned. He'll be separated out from the community. So you see that they have the ability to control ownership of property. Rebelezer has a different verse. Rebelezer. These are the uh, uh, um, what's the word? Uh, the 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 lot. Yeah, but anyway, the portions or whatever. Right. The um, you know. The, yeah, I know, but it's anyway. The, anyway, these are the portions that were bequeathed by Elazar the Kohen and Yoshua Binun and the heads of the tribes, um, etc. When they were dividing up the land of Israel. So why, why did it say Rashi Avot, the heads of the fathers? Or it should say the heads of the tribes. What do you mean, heads of the fathers? To tell you, the same way fathers can bequeath to their children whatever they want, the heads can bequeath to the people what they want. Now, there's a difference between these two drashot. Because the first drasha, it's only used in the punitive sense. If you don't show up, 
your property is ban is put on the ban is banned, right? And 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 you know we're going to take your property away from you. That's the power of like a court to like uh, levy fines or to you know you know to seize your property. Okay, but that's punitive, right? That's the first Russia. The second Russia, when the same way the heads of the, the heads of the nation divvied up the land of Israel, that's not punitive. That's saying fundamentally they have the right. The same way a father bequeaths to his children, they represent the people and they have a right a right to redistribute you know we- the wealth of the nation. Okay, and that's the different drasha of Hefka based in Hefka. Now, Rashi raises an important point. So now what we've said is Shemitah was rabbinic and Hillel Sakana and the reason we made a rabbinic Shemitah was because we can control ownership and therefore we can uh, money and therefore we can void debt. And then Shmuel was able to make his rabbinic institution which was to um, which was to what do you call it? Which was to get around that rabbinic law. But Rashi raises a question. Once we've introduced the idea of Hefker based in Hefker, that based in can control money, we have an answer to our question of how Hillel could get around the biblical law of Shemitah. The law of Shemitah could be biblical. It could be the right that the debts are voided. And nevertheless, Hillel will allow you to collect your debt after Shemitah. How could he do that? Because Hefker based in Hefker. He just basically just reinstitutes the debt. The Torah came along and voided it. Fine, the Torah avoided your debt. And now we, after, we won't let you collect, let's say, during Shemitah or something, but after Shemitah, we will reinstitute your debt. Okay? So Rashi says, Enochinami, once the Gemara introduces Hefker based in Hefker, we can understand how what how Hillel does works even against the Torah's, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? The Torah's um, uh, 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 Shemitah. Tosvos disagrees. Tosvos says, if you look in Lamed Vav Amad Aleph, Nika Midi, the Midoraisa Mashami Shviyas, Tosa said, the Tikkun Hill from Dilomashami, Tosa says, Haftalo by Ravalishnu ye hakusha de Hefkebet and I Hefke. Why didn't Rava give the answer? Here's how Hill could do, could, could, could uh, go against the Torah's uh, Shemitah because of Hefke based in Hefke. Why didn't they give that answer? Tishani Basirachi, Mishum de Kashule, Tiloi Alol Hillel Akur Shviyas to Hidoraisa. Meaning, what Tosa is saying is, the problem wasn't what mechanism is available to Hillel. Hillel maybe has a mechanism to do prusbo to get around the Torah's law of Shemitah. The question is, how could you do such a thing? How could you blatantly go against and you know and and, and, and you know and, and undermine a Torah institution? Sure, you have the mechanism, but why are you? Gonna, what would let you use that mechanism, right? In such a in such a blatant way now? Because well, I'm trying to ultimately preserve the Torah because I'm trying to get people to lend money and not violate. That all might be very nice, but, you know, you can't do it in such a blatant way, or you can't do it in a way that really challenges in that profound way of the institution. So I want to say that there's an interesting parallel to what we said before about, uh, about Hafkas Kiddushin. When we learned Hafkas Kiddushin, I mentioned to you the position of the Rashba that says, yes, the rabbis do have the power to retroactively annul a marriage, but they will never do it retroactively, because, you know, that's such a blatant, like, you know, uh, show of power that we the rabbis are going to go ahead and, and you know and something that for the last 20 years they've been happily married and it's been recognized as a biblical marriage they want going to say it never existed that like is a blatant show of like you know of, of, of rabbinic power against a, a biblical institution so we need to what I, I call this the fig leaf for prose we need to hide behind something that it doesn't look that, that it's not an obvious challenge to the biblical institution of marriage so we're only going to say Hafkas Kiddushin when there's a get the get might be puzzled Okay, but if there is a get, even as a puzzle one, it doesn't look like 
we are voiding the Kiddushin, it looks like she's divorced by the get. So the same thing you could say is true here. Remember I said to you that the logic of Prisbo was that it was giving over the debts to Bastin. Okay? But if that's true, I mean, you know, why do you need that logic at all? And the point is, you know, I mean, or if that logic works, why did you need Hillel's Tokana? And the answer could be that maybe that doesn't really work. Uh, it really doesn't work to give over your debts to Bastin. You're not really giving them over to Bastin. But it serves as the fig leaf because we can't go ahead and just blatantly say, oh, so the Torah's law, you know, the Torah's thing doesn't apply because we did something Hillel asked us to do. Right? There has to be a logic in which it doesn't, it, it's not coming across as a straight override of the Torah institution. So there's two points. Number one is Tosu saying, is saying like, you know, why would we ever, like, how could we have the chutzpah to go ahead and to undermine a Torah institution? And the answer might be, okay, okay, by Hillel's day it was only rabbinic. It wasn't really a Torah one. Now how do we have the mechanism? How do we have the, like, how the could we? The authority, or right, or the, you know, or would we do something so blatant? You might have the mechanism to do it, but how could you do it? And the first, and the answer was it was only rabbinic. Okay, but, Baji says it could even be biblical, but the other question that I'm pointing out is, how would we, we couldn't sort of, you know, do it in a way that was blatant, even when we were doing it. And therefore it was important to use this, uh, the, uh, the, the mechanism that made, that even if it was, didn't really work, looked like it worked. And that was the mechanism of giving it over, giving the debt over to the basin. And that's the end of this Tosus. So just read the next line of Tosus. He says, um, there's only when the debt is to you, but if you hand it over to Basin, it's not annulled. And then he said, and anyway, whatever. So those the second answer. I, okay, I shouldn't write that. The next answer is it's getting a little confused. But the next answer he says is first is, is that the. the that's really just a, a, an asmachta. That really, it doesn't work to hand, I mean, it has two answers, but with the second answer is, it doesn't work to hand it over to Bastin, but we need it to look like it worked, okay? So again, in this context of the idea of tikkun olam, the upshot is, because this is often lost on people that, you know, see this prusbo as this whole big model of rabbinic, you know, like where there's a rabbinic will, there's a halachic way, which it might be, but it's important to understand some of the, some of the, some of the qualities of it, because about how we frame the issues. We don't frame it like, oh, this Torah law doesn't work, it's not, it's too heavy on the people, let's find a workaround. It was framed as this uh, Torah law is coming at the cost of another, of Torah mitzvah. It's one mitzvah against another mitzvah. Because of Shemitah, people are transgressing. So we have to find a way to solve that balance. It's not framed in terms of the cost to the people, although that might be what motivates you, which side of the scale you tip the balance. The other issue is, is that we're not just going to go ahead and blatantly override a Torah law. According to Tosa's whole question in the Gemara, we know you have the mechanism, but that doesn't mean that you have the you, you should have the will or the ability or the or propriety of doing such a thing. It might only be a rabbinic law, okay. And the other thing is, even when we are overriding it, or if we are, we're going to not again do it blatantly, but we're going to do it through a mechanism of handing it over to based in, which may or may not work, but at least it looks like it works, and that's also part part of this whole process. Is the, is, is the kind of legal 